You know, either we're making history or we're becoming history. Uh, last week, is the, uh, we're, we're continuing our series in the book of Acts. We're studying the longest recorded sermon in the book of Acts, which is in, in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen, the, one of the first deacons of the New Testament church, is preaching this message. And as he's being falsely accused by religious leaders, he stands before them and he knows his Bible. It's so important to know your Bible. It's so important to know the stories of faith that are in the Word of God. And so Stephen knows his Bible, and he's going through a litany of, of examples in Scripture of individuals who were history makers. And as we talked about last weekend, you know, history really is his story. And we looked at the life of Abraham, and we learned some valuable lessons because that's the first person that Stephen uses as an example as a rebuke to the shallowness and the superficiality of the faith of God's people living in Jerusalem uh, shortly after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the preaching of this message by Stephen. And the one thing that we learned from Abraham's life was three words, Abraham believed God. And we talked about that last weekend. Abraham didn't just believe in God. 90, like 90% 90 of Americans believe in God. What difference is that making, right? Abraham didn't just believe in God. A lot of people believe in God. James said, writing uh, the epistle of James, he said, even demons believe in God and tremble. But it says that Abraham believed God. And my hope and prayer is that it could be said the same, the same thing could be said about you and about me, that we believed God. Not just believed in God, but we believed God. We had faith in God, that we are men and women that have faith in God. And Abraham was able to believe God, not just believe in God, but believe God without the benefit of a holy city like Jerusalem. Thank God for the holy city of Jerusalem. He didn't have the city of Jerusalem. He was living in Mesopotamia when God appeared to him. He believed God without the benefit of the holy temple. Thank God for houses of worship. Thank God for the original house of worship, the holy temple built by Solomon, then destroyed and then rebuilt again, and then destroyed and rebuilt, uh, uh, rebuilt by Herod. Thank God for the holy temple. But he didn't have the benefits of the holy temple. He didn't have the benefit of the holy Torah. The scripture had not yet been, been written. It was being oral. The story of God was being orally transmitted. And all he had was an oral transmission of the truth of God's Word and a divine encounter with God. And it says that Abraham, in the midst of a pagan world, he believed God. Now, the next person that Stephen mentions as a history maker, because if, you know, if, if you're not making history, you're becoming history, he mentions Joseph. So let's go to Acts chapter 7, picking up where we left off last weekend. I want to welcome all those that are watching live video streaming, those that are in the chapel venue. I'm glad that you could join us today. And so here we go, Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. These patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph, and they sold him to be a slave in Egypt. But God was with him. Let's, let's read those last five words together. But God was with him. Say it again. But God was with him. I want you to say this with me in a moment. God is with me. Let's say that together. God is with me. One more time. God is with me. Now turn to your neighbor and say, God is with you. Go on, tell him. God is with you. Those five words make all the difference in the world. 
You see, Joseph understood this. The story of Joseph is an amazing story in the book of Genesis. Many of you are familiar with it. Some of you may not be. But Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob. There's the patriarch Abraham, who had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And one, the second to the youngest son, Joseph, dreamed a dream. He had this dream from heaven for his life. He shared his dream with his brothers. They hated him for it. They were jealous of him. He shared his dream with his father, and he didn't understand it. He had this dream that God put in his heart, a dream that, that God was going to elevate him and promote him, and that he would have great influence. And his brothers hated him for it. They were jealous of him. And so Joseph is a type of Jesus. Even as Jesus came into his own, his own received him not. Joseph's own brothers didn't receive him. Joseph's own brothers sold him as a slave to the Ishmaelites, which led him to Egypt. And Joseph, at the young age of 17, though he had a dream in his heart, he finds himself in this godless, pagan place called Egypt. But God was with him. Say that again. But God was with him. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you've been. I don't know where you're going. I don't know that the giants that you may be facing or may be facing in your future. I don't know what fears you may be battling, doubts or depression that you may be going through. I don't know where you're at geographically. I don't know where you're at emotionally or spiritually or financially or physically. But here's, here's the one thing that I know. If God is for you, who could be against you? And the promise of Scripture for Joseph is the same for you and the same for me. God is with me. Let's say that together. Come on. God is with me. Because Jesus promised to never leave us or never forsake us. So let's continue reading. Verse 10. And rescued him from all his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh. I declare God's given you favor before kings, before before the, the, the influential of, of our generation, the king of Egypt, God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom. God can give you unusual wisdom. So that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. But a famine came upon Egypt and Canaan, and there was great misery, and our ancestors ran out of food. Jacob heard that there was still grain in Egypt, so he sent his sons our ancestors to buy some. The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father Jacob and all his relatives to come to Egypt, 75 persons in all. So Jacob went to Egypt. He died there, as did our ancestors. Their bodies were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb Abraham had bought for a certain price from Hamor's sons in Shechem. At the time, as the time drew near, when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of your people in Egypt greatly increased. The number of our people greatly increased. So what happened was, remember, God told Abraham that his people would be sent there, and they would be there for about 400 years. So they were in the land of Egypt for 400 years, and they began with 75 people. And we know the time Moses shows up, and leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Bible gives us a clear number of 600,000 men, adding women and children, over a million people. So over a 400-year period of time, the, the nation of Israel in Egypt grew from 75 people to well over a million people. And now they're in bondage. But this is an important part of the history of the Israelite, of the Hebrew people, that even while Joseph was in Egypt. God sent him there in advance. He didn't necessarily want to be there. 
He didn't think this was part of God's plan for his life. But Joseph finds himself in Egypt, and he's the beginning of what eventually is going to happen. Million people plus being delivered out of Egypt, all the miracles, and then being led into the promised land, and then the nation of Israel is born, is reborn and birthed, and they become this mighty, powerful nation and people in the world. It all begins with Joseph. Not knowing why his brothers betrayed him and sold him as a slave, he ends up in Egypt. He didn't want to be in those circumstances, but he didn't know that God was behind the scenes working on his behalf and working not only on his behalf, but on behalf of generations to come. Sometimes we look at our life and we're like, why am I here and why is this going on in my life? And we may not understand the things that are transpiring in our life, but we have to trust that behind the scenes, God is at work. And even as Joseph got towards the end of his, his life, after all of his trials and tribulations and, and, and God's exaltation and promotion of Joseph, and, and his brothers thought that now that dad's dead, you know, Joseph's going to take his revenge out on us. And Joseph put him at ease by saying, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. So every Jewish person that day that was listening to Stephen knew what he meant. Once again, Abraham believed God. Abraham was known for his faith, and he had a strong faith. He wasn't perfect. He made his mistakes, but he had a strong faith and didn't have the benefit of the geographical city of Jerusalem, God's city, didn't have the benefit of the temple, didn't have the ben benefit of the written uh, scriptures. These people had all those things, and yet their faith had become superficial and shallow. And then he brings up Joseph. And Joseph is famous for what? Joseph is famous for dreaming God's dream for his life. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a God-given, God-sized, heavenly dream for your life? I'm not talking about the American dream. I'm talking about a heavenly dream, the power of a dream, a dream in your heart to one day be happily married. Or if you're married, that you'll have a happy marriage one day. And you can in Jesus' name. A dream to have a blessed family, a dream to have a blessed life, a dream to have a blessed career, to to. Uh, live out the calling of God for your life. Do you have a dream? A dream of allowing God to use your talents and skills in His service to be a benefit to others. The power, never underestimate the power of a dream. Jacob in the Old Testament had a dream. In Genesis 28, he had multiple dreams, but this one particular dream, a ladder came down from heaven, right? And, and angels were ascending and descending down this ladder. And, and in this dream, he had such a powerful encounter with God. When he woke up from the dream, he made a vow to serve God and give God a tithe or 10% of all that God had blessed him with. What a powerful dream that Jacob uh, dreamt that night. You know, there's consensus reality and non-consensus reality. Consensus reality is this is a, a, a table up here. Uh, this is a TV. Consensus reality dictates to us by our five physical senses that this is real. This building is real. But there's non-consensus reality. There's things that are real that you can't see that I can't see, right? Uh, how many of you know that if God could open up your spiritual eyes, there would be angels in here this morning, because the Bible says that the angel of the Lord encamps around about all those who fear the Lord. How many know that if God could open up your spiritual eyes and you could see into the spiritual realm, you would see the demo demonic activity that's, that's, in, that's going on in our world today. You could actually see 
evil spirits sometimes that attach themselves to people's lives. And, and there is a gift in the Bible called the discerning of spirits that, that God could open up your spiritual life. It would be frightening if, if it wasn't, you know, the Lord that was doing it in you and through you. So there's non-consensus reality. How many know you and I have never seen heaven, but heaven is a real place, and I hope all of us are going to be there one day. Amen? That's my job. That's what, I, that's what I get paid to do. And whether I got paid or not to do it, that's what I, I'm dedicating my life to get as many people to get to heaven as make sure, number one, I get to heaven. Make sure, number two, my wife gets to heaven. Make sure, number three, my sons get there if I have to drag them by their hair. And then number four, to make sure all of you get to heaven. Right? And, but heaven's real, but you've never seen it. How do you know it's real? By faith. So there's non-consensus reality. Some people are more inclined to a sentient level of experience or a, 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 they're more aware of the spiritual realm or the spiritual world. Some people only function in the cons, in consensus reality and they shut out the non-consensus reality from life or the spiritual dimension of their life. But that's why the, a dream can be so powerful. You see, Abraham dreamed a dream in Genesis 15. It was through that dream that God spoke to him and God revealed himself to him. God still uses dreams today. Daniel, in the Old Testament, he had dreams. He dreamed dreams that are yet to be fulfilled. In those dreams, God revealed to him what would happen at the end of the age, at the end of the world, and those dreams are yet to be fulfilled. The prophet Joel said, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Your, your, your sons and daughters would prophesy. Your, your, your old men would dream dreams, and your young men would see visions. Your old men would dream dreams, and your young men would see visions. I want you to know I'm still seeing visions right now, okay? You know what that means. He's young. <laughs> so, have you dreamed a dream? Are you dreaming a dream from God? One-third of our lives are spent sleeping. Go figure. The majority of our lives are spent, uh, one-third of our lives, a big chunk of our lives, a big majority part of our lives is spent sleeping. So I hope you treat yourself well, and I hope you've invested wisely in a good bed. I mean, if you're spending one-third of your life, forget the car. Forget all the money you spend on cars. Get yourself a good bed, good sheets, good comforter, good pillow, and get a good night's sleep. Amen. <laughs> Sleep's not evil. Rest is, rest is good. Rest is not sinfulness. Rest is holiness in the Bible. God even requires you to take a day off, at least one in six, Sabbath, right? So one-third of our life is spent sleeping. I've always asked God, like, God, that's such a waste of time. At least it seems like such a waste of time. I mean, who in here likes to sleep? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Some people like, like to get a lot of sleep, right? Well, Sleep is necessary. Sleep is important. And did you know that we spend a majority of our time while we're sleeping dreaming? How many of you dream regularly? Raise your hand. How many of you remember those dreams? Raise your, keep your hand up. Now, some of you can't raise your hand on either account, but I want you to know, according to scientific research, everyone dreams. They've hooked up, you know, uh, MRI machines to people while they sleep, and your brain is active, especially when you get into that rim sleep that 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 uh, that certain level of sleep your dream you may not remember your dreams but i want you to know everyone dreams and, and still science today is baffled and there's the mystery behind dreams we don't understand them 
Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that dreams come because of much uh, 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 thought throughout the day or we, we, we carry a lot of stress or, or anxiety and then it can manifest in our dreams. And so you want to process that. You want to, you know, you want to have regular confession of your sins before the Lord and you want to keep your heart clean uh, before the Lord. You don't want to harbor ill feelings or resentment or unforgiveness towards others because, you know, you know, the Bible says don't, don't, uh, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Uh, you, you never want to disrupt the God says he gives his beloved rest the Bible says he gives his beloved rest and so you don't want to go to bed angry because then you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna take that with you into your dreams and you're gonna become a serial killer or something crazy like that in your dreams just in your dreams hopefully not, not even in your dreams in Jesus name so dreams are very real and they're very powerful and if you're not convinced of the power of dreams let me just give you three names Walt Disney had a dream and the rest is history he made history Martin Luther King jr. he stood up before our nation and he didn't say I have a plan no I didn't say that he stood up before our nation and he didn't say I have a complaint no he stood up before our nation and he said what I have a I have a what a dream a dream that moved a nation that moved the world that made history. The power of a dream. I think of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. She told her superiors what she wanted to do, and they basically reprimanded her. How do you think that you could do this? And she said, I have three pennies and a dream from God to build an orphanage. And she changed the world. It all started with a dream. The power of a dream. Never underestimate the power of a dream. Let me take a moment to brag on my wife. Five years ago, God gave her a dream to start this running to rescue a local race here in our community to basically do two things, raise awareness about sex trafficking and raise money. And initially, this dream became reality. Five years ago, hundreds of people showed up and initially, all the funds plus what we gave as a church would go to wonderful organizations in our country that are on the front lines of helping to stop human trafficking. But as this dream began to grow, of course, teams make dreams come true, right? And God began to add some people, and she got in contact, you know, with Peggy Galanos, and, and she's the mother of Chris, Pastor Chris Galanos. And then they hooked up with a, a, a lady here in town called Kim Starks, who, who heads up the, the Lubbock Rape Crisis Center. And, and then they connected with an, a local attorney here in town, Laura Pratt. And then they connected with our CFO, Teresa Clark. And these women... These dynamic women, leaders in their own right, all came together to form a nonprofit organization called One Voice. And they're about to purchase a ranch in West Texas to have a home for underage girls that are being rescued out of the sex trafficking industry so that they can find help, healing, and restoration. And it all begins with a dream. I hope you're dreaming God's dream for your life because he wants you to have a heavenly dream. Now, what should you do with a dream? Act on it. You know, it was January 1st, 1980. I was 17 years old. I was living in a three-bedroom apartment in the 9800 block of Montgomery and Eubank in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
And I committed my life to Christ early of the new decade, January 1st, 1980. After reading the scripture, I surrendered my heart to Jesus. And that night, I went to sleep, and Jesus appeared to me in a dream. It doesn't happen all the time this way. It doesn't need to happen this way, but it did happen this way for me. And in this dream, I was in a car with my two friends, who were my two best friends in my life at that time. And in the dream, they, as, as Jesus appears in this dream, they are taken out of the car because the wicked are swept away in judgment, the Bible says. So uh, my friends weren't good influences on me, and I was not a good influence on my friends. All we wanted to do on the weekends was go out and drink and smoke dope and look for girls. Is that too blunt for you? And if that's what your life is do, all about right now, I want you to know that Jesus wants to show up in this service today and let you know he's got a purpose for your life. He's got a dream for your life. You, there's a reason why you were born, and in your mother's womb you were separated for a special purpose. That's why I tell all young people, you don't need to be delving into that alcohol stuff. Now, if you're older, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, about to die, drink as much as you want. But anyway, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I see young people dabbling with alcohol. I'm like, don't do that. Well, I'm 21 now. Well, so what? You know, you, you don't have a legal right to do something that's not morally beneficial for you at this particular time in your, your young age. I go to restaurants sometimes and I see young college students sitting down at lunch ordering a, a margarita or a daiquiri. Like, Pastor Carl, that's not sin. It has, I'm not saying it's sin necessarily. I'm just saying it's not good for you. If you begin to rely to cope with the challenges of life and the problems of life by having a drink every day or every other day and you're in your 20s, where's it going to lead you when you're in your 30s, 40s, or 50s? And I say that as a loving father and a pastor to all you young people. I love you enough to say, you don't need that stuff. Keep that stuff out of your life. Now, you're, get older, mature. I'm not saying having a beer now and then or a glass of wine is evil or sinful. No problemo. If you're mature... But then even the mature ones, now I don't do that. I, I, I was raised, you know, in a bar. My grandfather owned a bar. My dad owned a bar. You know, I'm like anti-alcohol, okay? But I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm just simply saying be wise. When you begin to depend on that more than leaning towards God and prayer and Scripture reading and worship and all of that, where is that ultimately going to lead you? How many of you know, let's be real, a lot of us grew up in homes where we had alcoholic parents. Thank God I didn't. But many of you, or you've had people that are struggling right now with alcohol, and how many know, even though the world glamorizes it and the world glorifies it, God has something better for his sons and daughters. Amen? I say that in love. So in this dream, the Lord comes to me, and he doesn't say anything. You've heard this before, I know. He doesn't just indulge me for a moment. He doesn't say anything, but his eyes are saying what his mouth is not saying. And he hands me a sword. In the stream, January 1st, 1980, 17 years old. And I knew at that moment this was my calling in life. I knew that he was handing me his sword, which was the word of God, and that now I was responsible to take that to my generation. That's been the dream in my heart. And through many hardships, trials, tribulations, waiting, seasons of sowing, seasons of sowing, seasons of plowing, seasons of plowing, and thinking as though that dream will never 
become a reality. I want you to know that I'm one of the most thankful pastors in Lubbock, Texas today because I am living the dream. I am doing what God called me to do at the young age of 17. Dreams are real. And dreams are powerful. And there are four things you should do with a dream. Number one, decide it. Decide if it's worth keeping. See, not all dreams are from God, so use this, a spirit, the spiritual filter of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to decide whether or not you should keep this dream. Number two, document it. Once you wake up, if you don't jot it down, it will dissipate because our, for some reason our subconscious does not store it in our long-term memory. So document it. The third thing you might want to do is discuss it cautiously with people who won't judge you and won't try to interpret it, but will simply listen to you. A fourth thing you could do is discard it. Uh, sometimes when we wake up, we know that was not a dream from God. and We have to just get rid of it, rebuke it, right? Uh, I mean, some dreams are like, they're like nightmares, right? So not all dreams are from God, so keep the good ones, discard the bad ones. Don't overthink or analyze your dreams. They are by nature irrational and illogical, right? And any dream from God would never, ever violate the truth of God's Word. Amen? But God still speaks through dreams. Now, I had a, I had a bad dream a few, day, a few nights ago. I had a dream. My dream, it seems so real. I had a dream that I was not married to Gloria. That the, the pastor wasn't real. The license really was, never was signed. That she never did say yes. And in my dream, I'm like, oh, how'd I let this one get away? Oh, man, I'll never, I'll never regret this one. Oh, man, I know I'm not married to her. Oh, and I woke up, and I felt her next to me. I'm like, whoo, thank God it was only a dream. How many times have you woken up and you're like, thank God that was a dream? Like, you know, like sometimes like wild dreams, you know, like I'm at work in my underwear and, and, and I can't get into my office. Like, what are, I, don't try to analyze me. Well, I know why you have those dreams. You, you got, no, don't try to analyze me. Or you're at school and you're in, in your pajamas, whatever, you know. I mean, there was like just some like weird things and you wake up and like, oh, thank God. One time I had a dream I was in jail. I used to work in a prison, so I still have, like, dreams about prison life. Whatever. And so I, I woke up, and I was like, I'm, thank God I'm free. And when I woke up from this last dream, then I'm still married to Gloria. I'm like, whoa. I'm, I, she didn't know, but I was like, all thankful all day. I'm so glad I'm married to you, girl. I'm so glad we're married. Yeah. Amen. It is real. It is real. So keep your dreams. The message in that is keep your dreams real. All right. So Abraham was known for his faith. Joseph was known for his dreams. Both of them walked with God, and they didn't have the benefit of a holy city, a holy temple, and the holy Torah. How much more, he, Stephen was saying, should you, all of you, all of us, myself included, we have this holy city, thank God for it. We have this holy temple, thank God for it. We have the holy written word of God, thank God for it. And yet our faith is so superficial and our faith is so shallow. He's using these historical examples as a not-so-gentle rebuke to the shallowness of their faith. And then the third example he gives is Moses. Let's go to verse 17 of Acts 7. He says, But when, they, when the new king came to the throne of Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph, this, this king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. Abortion is nothing new, by the way. At that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Thank God for adoption. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action, being groomed to be the next Pharaoh. 
One day when Moses was 40, it's never too late, when he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, so Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. How many know sometimes we can get ahead of God? Moses was about, let's see, 40 years ahead of God. You never want to get ahead of God. You never want to be too far behind God. You always want to be in lock and step with God. You see, you can do the right thing at the wrong time and get the wrong results. You can do the right thing at the right time with the wrong motive and get the wrong results. The, the goal in life is do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons, and then you have the blessing of God, and then you have the favor of God. Moses did the wrong thing with the right heart at the wrong time, and it backfired on him. Next verse. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. Why? He was 40 years too early. The next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. So Moses now has to flee Egypt. And while he's in, of all places, he's, in, he's, in the back, he's, at the, he's living in the backside of the desert in a place called Midland. I'm sorry, I mean Midian. <laughs> Not much difference. <laughs> of all the places in the world, could God appear to somebody in Midland, Texas? Yeah, that's the point. God appeared to Moses, not in the palace of Egypt, but in Midian, backside of a desert. He's now gone from second in command to uh, a shepherd watching, overseeing sheep all day. Nothing wrong with that. Some of the greatest men that God called and used, David, Moses, shepherds, Amos, the prophet Amos was a farmer. And so he's tending these sheep, the backside of the desert, he's on this mountain, and God reveals himself to Moses. So if Abraham was famous because of his faith, and Joseph was famous because of his dreams, what was that Moses famous about? His obedience, his obedience to God. He got ahead of God. He understood his purpose in life at the age of 40, but he was 40 years too early. He, he didn't learn the valuable lesson of waiting on God and not getting ahead of God. And I mean, oh, God's a patient God. I mean, you know, with God, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. So it's like God's. You know, sometimes he seems too patient, right, for us. Because we want everything by this weekend. But many wonderful blessings in life don't come to us by this weekend or by this decade, but within this generation, perhaps. Are you willing to wait for the fulfillment of God's best in your life and not become weary in well-doing? and be patient and not get ahead of God. So God appears to Moses on this mount, and, it, and, it, and it's recorded. Let's go to verse 30 now. Forty years later, <laughs> in the desert, in Midland, Texas, <laughs> near, near Mount Sinai, 
an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And he went to take a closer look. Talk about consensus reality, non-consensus reality. A bush burning and not burning up and a voice coming out of that, my friend, that's non-consensus reality. That's some, that's some, some uh, spiritually deep stuff right there. And the voice of the Lord called out to him. So I'm going to give you my God voice. I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses shook with terror and did not dare, dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Stephen was saying, Ah, hello, all you religious scholars, all you scribes, all you Pharisees today judging me. God told Moses, what? Our ancestor? The Moses that you guys hated while he was alive, but as soon as he died, you started to worship. <laughs> that Moses. God told him on the backside of a desert in Gentile, heathen, pagan land, take off your shoes, Moses, because the, the ground that you're standing on is holy. The big question is, what makes any ground unholy ground or what makes any ground holy ground? You see, there's a lot of unholy ground in our world. But something that is unholy or common can become holy when the presence of the Lord shows up. You know what Jesus promised? Let me, let me teach you something here. God's presence comes to us in at least two different ways. God's presence within us, God's presence upon us, and God's presence around us. When you get saved, God's presence comes in you because Christ comes to live in your heart. He knocks on the door of our heart. If any man will hear and open up the door of his heart, I will come into him, have supper with him, and have fellowship with him, and he will have fellowship with me. When you get born again, Jesus comes in your heart. By his spirit, he's living in you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a second work of grace in our life, is when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, as it happened over and over again in the book of Acts. But then there is the presence of God among us. Jesus said this, If any two of you shall agree on earth concerning anything that you ask, it shall be done for you of my Father which is in heaven. The next verse, verse Matthew 18, 19, 20, verse 20, For where two or three are gathered in my, in my name, there I am in the midst of them. This is the promise of, of the Master. This is the promise of the Savior. Jesus said, For where two or three, just two or three, thank God for two or three hundred, thank God for two or three thousand, thank God for twenty to thirty thousand, but just two or three, are gathered in my name. Whose name are we gathered in here today? The name of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm in your midst. Well, wait a minute. I thought you were living in me. I'm, I'm, I'm there too. But in a special way, I am now the presence of God, not just within you, not just upon you, but among you. How many know there are times in services like this that we sense the presence of God? We know that his presence is here with us. There are times people will come to church and during worship they'll just cry and they don't know why. It's the Spirit of God, the presence of God that's touching your life that you've not yet experienced perhaps in that specific way. It's God's presence being manifested among us. You know Jesus is here right now because he promised that he would be here. Where two or three are gathered in his name, we are gathered not in any other name but the name of Jesus. 
And so he's here. And how many know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Hebrews 13 eight tells us. Which means whatever Jesus did in the Gospels, he could still do today. And how many know that his presence is here to bless? His presence is here to heal. His presence is here to touch our hearts and our lives. And so God could say to us what he said to Moses, take off your shoes because the ground that you are about to stand on is holy ground. And why is it holy ground? Because God is in this place right here, right now. I'd like for us to just quietly stand to our feet. There's a song, an old song that we used to sing, but it's such an appropriate and powerful song. I'd like for us just to take a moment to welcome the presence of God, and I'm going to pray for God to touch your heart, your life in a powerful way. But let's just sing this, this song, this old Christian song about standing on holy ground. For those of you that need a physical touch in your body, maybe you're struggling with some physical ailment. Jesus said that we would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. The Bible says that in 1 Peter 2.21, that by his stripes you were healed. That Jesus bore our sicknesses and our diseases as he hung on that cross, Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. So just place your hand upon that area of your body that you're believing God for healing. And I want to pray, Lord, I thank you for your divine, supernatural, spiritual touch in that person's body right now. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing and strength. Lord, we believe in miracles. You're the God of miracles, and we thank you right now for your divine touch. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we welcome your presence. We take you at your word. Where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst of them, that if any two of us shall agree on earth concerning anything that we ask, it will be done for us of our Father which is in heaven. So, Lord, there are more than two of us on the earth, and we are in agreement, aligning our hearts and minds and thoughts and words with what God's word says. And Lord, I thank you right now for just bringing physical healing right now in people's bodies. I pray, Lord, for those that need, need healing in their emotions. I pray for those that need uh, a divine touch in, in their spiritual life. That, Lord, you are our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Lord, thank you for bringing restoration in the souls of, of people right here today, Lord, that your presence is here to touch. Lord, I pray for the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. Lord, for those that may be battling alcohol right now. They may be battling drugs. They may be battling pornography. I thank you where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I thank you, Lord, those that are, that are battling an adulterous affair or, or, or homosexual thoughts and tendencies. Yet, God, you love them and they can be complete and confident in your unconditional love for them. But, Father, I thank you that, that the enemy that has come to steal, kill, and destroy and that the lies of the enemy, I rebuke those lies in the name of Jesus by the power of the shed blood of Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. I speak freedom right now into the hearts and minds of men and women, young men, young women, Lord. I thank you that, Father, young men, young women, Lord, are, are, are seeing a vision for their life. 
a divine heavenly vision, Lord, of who they can become, to never underestimate who they can become, not in their own ability, not in their own strength, but in yours. And God, I pray, I pray that, Lord, that we as a people, that we would wait on the timing of God, that, Lord, we would not, we would not get ahead of you, Lord, that we would not get too far behind of you, that, Lord, we would, we would understand the importance of the timing of God in our life, that, Lord, we would not get impatient. Those, oh, Lord, that have become impatient about the dream that you put in their heart, it's for an appointed time. And may they not become weary, Lord, in well-doing. Lord, I just thank you now your presence to bring healing, to bring blessing, to bring strength, to bring freedom for, uh, for the, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And Lord, now we just thank you for your presence. We just thank you for your touch. Just begin to thank him right now, right where you're standing. Just say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for showing me your will. Thank you for showing me your, your purpose for my life, your plan for my life, Lord. Thank you that that I can just take one day at a time, one step at a time. My steps are ordered of you, Lord. I don't have to worry about my future. I don't have to be fearful about my future. God, you have a plan, you have a purpose. And Lord, I thank you that it shall be fulfilled. And Lord, I pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And thy will be done in my life. I surrender, God, to do your will. Let's sing this to him one more time. Thank you, Jesus, for your holy presence in this place. Thank you, Lord. We love you today, God. become holy ground as you're driving it. Your cubicle at work can become holy ground. That university you're attending, that high school, that junior high, that elementary school that you're attending can become holy ground. Your home can become holy ground. Any ground becomes holy ground when God's presence is welcome in that place. May we welcome God's presence in every place. Amen. So my, my challenge for all of us today, myself included, let's have the faith of Abraham. Let's have the dreams of Joseph, and let's have the obedience of Moses, and let's go out and let's make history together. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can know His love, grace, and forgiveness. If you need to rededicate your life or you want to commit your life to Christ, pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. Say it with your own mouth. Mean it from your own heart. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart, come into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my Father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit, and give me strength to live for you, serve you, all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, 
amen and amen. Can we thank the Lord together, church family?